back to the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Thank you for joining us this morning for our virtual event to launch the IMF's Fiscal Monitor Report on State-Owned Enterprises. State-Owned Enterprises, of course, were becoming even more of an issue pre-COVID pandemic in that they were a source of friction in trade. They were a question about what leads to success. They were a worry about fiscal waste and misallocation, as well as seen as a potential boon for getting to necessary size and scale, in particularly in developing countries. Since the pandemic has hit, the interest in state-owned enterprises has become more acute in the sense that the government is getting incredibly involved in all kinds of economies in which enterprises survive the buffeting that is brought on by the pandemic, by the lockdowns, and by people's changes in demand. The IMF as fiscal department has done a great deal of work on the issue of state-owned enterprises, and we're proud to once again be hosting it for the presentation of their thematic chapter from the Fiscal Monitor. This year, Paolo Nadas, Deputy Division Chief, and John Ralliea, Senior Economist in the IMF Fiscal Department, Fiscal Affairs Department, will present the report's findings. We're also going to have two discussants. First will be Emilio Pena, Chief of the Fiscal Management Division at the Inter-American Development Bank. And second will be Mary Lovely, Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute and Professor at Syracuse University's Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. This is an important issue for us all, and I commend the Fiscal Department of the IMF for their role in tra tracing out just how much wider the state-owned enterprise issue is, both in terms of its implications, but also its sheer scale than many appreciate. Let me turn it over now to Paolo Medas to begin. Okay, thank you very much, Adam, and thank you to the Peterson Institute for the opportunity to present uh, uh, our latest analytical chapter of the Fiscal Monitor, uh, especially these unusual times, and I, I hope everyone is safe. Um, so, as Adam has mentioned, we have decided to take a, a, another look at uh, state-owned enterprises and evolution uh, over the last two decades or so. They are in many ways a less known and less understood arm of the government. Uh, these are companies that the government owns fully or partially together with private investors. These are companies that have commercial activities, but they also have a, a very special role in the sense they are mandated by governments to achieve certain policy goals. This could be a water company that has a mandate to deliver water uh, to everyone at affordable prices, an electricity company or public transportation that affects everyone's lives. So they are present in all countries in the world. So maybe, uh, can we still see the presentation? I don't, I don't know if- It will come up shortly. Thank you for your patience. Okay. So, so basically, uh, we wanted to look at the two key uh, aspects, I think, of uh, ah, here, it, here it goes. Maybe can you move to the next slide? Yeah, perfect. So as already a bit uh, Adam mentioned, there's a growing interest in SOEs uh, over the last, uh, I'll say, uh, two decades or so. And uh, there's a few aspects that come out uh, 
uh, I think the, that has uh, created that interest. One is that uh, the growing importance of SOEs in, uh, in the global markets, in the global economy. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that later. And the other aspect is the role that SOEs are playing in crisis, but also managing uh, periods of large recessions, not necessarily crisis. But, and this has been uh, 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 an interesting aspect during the global financial crisis. And now we see also in the pandemic uh, uh, a renewed interest uh, for what uh, some of these state-owned enterprises or especially public banks can do to help governments manage crisis. So, and for that, you need uh, these, uh, these SOEs and these public banks to be well operated and well funded. So these are some of the main motivations. Uh, we won't go through the entire report, so you'll, you'll have to read it, hopefully you will. But let me give you some of the key uh, uh, messages or themes uh, in the chapter. So as, as I mentioned, these are uh, companies that are uh, all over the world and they are providing basic services. They are trying to promote economic development and they are present in key sectors of the modern economy. Okay? Uh, however, on the other hand, uh, governments are really struggling to get the most out of these uh, companies. Uh, their performance tends to be poor in many countries and that undermines economic growth. That leads to fiscal costs because if these companies have losses, then the government has to cover, bail them out. Uh, so, so they are important on one hand, but they are not performing as well as we expected given their important role. Uh, so building on the international experience, uh, the report asks a few questions and uh, I just wanted to highlight two of them. Uh, one is uh, what can governments do to get the most out of these SOEs? And the other is how to promote a level playing field. And this has been a concern both uh, uh, domestically uh, in, in economies, so if these companies, SOEs are getting some special treatment, but it's also getting more important given that they are expanding to global markets. So it's becoming a quite relevant question. And uh, we will talk more later in the, in the presentation. So next slide, please. So SOEs come in very diverse uh, 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 ways and uh, many, uh, and especially in size, you have the very small uh, SOEs with very small number of employees. But here I want to highlight the other side, which is some SOEs have increased uh, significantly. They are now among uh, the largest in the world. And what we show in the chart, for example, the chart in the right is this expansion of SOEs, especially over the last decade or so, where, for example, in terms of assets, they have reached now around $45 trillion in assets, which represents about 20% of the assets of the 2,000 largest firms in the world. Uh, and this has been driven to a large degree by uh, emerging markets and China especially, which is not surprising because these are the countries that have been growing the, the fastest. So that partly reflects their increased uh, economic importance. Another interesting aspect we've seen, which is in the slide in the, in the left, is that as they also grow their size of their operations, they also become more active in debt markets. And this was not something you would see in the past uh, three, uh, 20, 30 years ago. SOEs would not usually go to debt markets on their own to depend on governments, but now they are going and they are becoming very big players in, in debt markets. Okay. So uh, next slide, please. 
So they are diverse, not just on size, but they are also diverse on uh, the sectors they operate. I mean, we find uh, uh, SOEs for uh, government uh, uh, ownership in uh, uh, firms like hairdressers, uh, hotels, uh, ski resorts, uh, factories, but uh, where they are most prevalent actually are in key network sectors of the economy. And, uh, and the, the slide shows, uh, for example, some of them are quite these giant uh, uh, companies like the national oil companies. And you can see in the chart, uh, the, the largest the national oil companies account for uh, about half of the oil and gas production in the world. They are also very present in the financial sector. Uh, for example, in emerging markets, public banks uh, have a very large share uh, of the market, but this is also in some advanced market uh, economies like Germany and also low-income countries. So they also play a big role. They're also very present in other key network sectors of the economy, like electricity companies, water companies. So they're really important for the normal functioning of, uh, of the of economies today. And uh, whether they are efficient or not, is going to have an impact uh, on the entire economy. So next, please. Next slide, please. Okay. So the other aspect I've been hinting, which is, I think is, is quite interesting uh, and poses uh, new challenges, is the, the, the growing role of SOEs in the world. And we are seeing multinational SOEs. Uh, we are uh, where some of them operate regionally, some of them operate globally. Uh, these are also uh, companies that have very complex hybrid governance structures. Sometimes it's even difficult to ascertain fully what is the level of control of the state, what is the level of control of private investors. So these are very complex uh, companies. For example, in Europe, you have almost 600 multinational SOEs. And this has, uh, as I uh, and Adam also mentioned before, this has created some concerns. So. As, uh, why are these SOEs expanding? Uh, are they just trying to maximize profits? Do they have other uh, political goals, for example? Uh, are they competing in a level playing field or are they getting uh, support by governments and, uh, and having uh, unfair competition? So these are some of the issues that are coming up as, as they become uh, more prominent in global markets. So next slide, please. Uh, one minute, Paolo. Sure. So uh, we can move to the next slide. All right. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, thank you. So a quick question then we want to look was uh, what is the performance of these SOEs and uh, what is what is driving them? And uh, uh, as I mentioned before, we we so we looked at the performance of SOEs versus private firms. We had a sample of about one million firms in more than a hundred countries, and uh, let me summarize some of the key results. One is that we find that on average, systematically, uh, private firms outperform uh, uh, SOEs, state-owned enterprises. But this differs, for example, differs across sectors. So if you see, if you look at the uh, sectors where there's more competition, uh, uh, where more tradable goods like manufacturing, retail, then uh, uh, private firms are much more uh, competitive, much more profitable, much more uh, uh, productivity than, uh, than SOEs. If you look at sectors 
uh, that are more regulated, the difference is not as large. Another aspect we investigate is whether the degree of ownership of the government makes a difference. And we do find, and the, the chart in the left shows that uh, we do find some difference. So if companies where government has a majority tend to perform the worst, uh, when it has a minority, they tend to perform somewhat better, but it's still a big lag compared to private firms where they tend to be much more profitable, much more competitive, much more efficient. We looked at different measures of performance. Another aspect we look, which is in the right is we uh, slide, is we try to see what are the drivers. One, one key driver that came up is the degree of governance or corruption in a country. So countries where uh, governance is very high or corruption is very low, SOEs perform much better than SOEs in countries with high corruption. Uh, also, what we thought was very interesting is that the, the gap of performance between an SOE and a private firm also changes dramatically. So in highly corrupt countries, the performance of private firms, the productivity is three times as large as an SOE. But that gap uh, is much smaller in countries with high governance. So, so when you have governments uh, with, a, with a very low corruption, very high governance, they are able to uh, get more out of their SOEs. So just before passing to my colleagues, if you can go to the next slide. I think you're, you're, you're running out of time, Paolo, so do this slide quickly or give it to John. Sure, I'll just very quickly. This is just to illustrate one point on public banks. We are using here the example of Brazil, just to show one point that uh, public banks actually, uh, one of the key questions was to ask if public banks can help countries manage periods of recessions or crisis. And what we find some evidence, especially in emerging markets, that public banks do tend to help. Uh, they are less pro-cyclical or more, or more counter-cyclical, but that depends on the degree of debt of government. So they need to be funded by governments. So that constrains their ability. So I'll, I'll skip this slide and, uh, and pass it on to John. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Paulo. Uh, not surprisingly, given the diversity, complexity, uh, global presence of SOEs and the relationship with the government, SOEs bring uh, challenges and risks. Next slide, please. Uh, to draw this out a little bit, we take a look at SOEs in the network sectors. The network sectors themselves tend to be natural monopolies and critical to the functioning of economies. This uh, in and of itself suggests that there may be a role for uh, state intervention uh, in these sectors, which can take the place through a regulation of private firms or the introduction of state-owned enterprises. Uh, many countries have tried to introduce private firms, uh, but this has proved challenging. For example, in uh, advanced economies, there's uh, numerous examples of trying to bring private firms into the water sector uh, and then having to essentially renationalize uh, the firms. This, uh, that leaves most of the water sector and advanced economies actually being run by state-owned enterprises or other government entities. Uh, in the case of emerging markets and developing uh, countries, we see SOEs are quite prevalent across uh, all three uh, network sectors that are uh, the power, water, and transportation. 
this uh, has resulted uh, in uh, some challenges and SOEs uh, tend to struggle a little bit. Uh, for example, if you look at the chart on the right, we see that SOEs in some countries can run uh, their own deficits that are equivalent to four, three percent of the GDP of their fiscal authorities. Um, and the result of this is that uh, SOEs underperformance leads to difficulties in extending the network to reach uh, citizens in their countries, uh, which leaves billions of people without water uh, in some countries, as well as over hundreds of millions without electricity. Next slide, please. Uh, so the question is, uh, why are SOE struggling? Well, uh, this can, there's a number of reasons. Uh, one is simply that uh, their owners, the government, uh, fail to provide clear mandates uh, to the SOEs. Should an SOE focus the majority of its resources on delivering on the policy mandate or the public good that they've been asked to do? Or should they concentrate more on uh, being profitable and self-sufficient entities? SOE managers know that uh, government officials would uh, rather bail them out for poor performance than close them down and uh, destroy the jobs that the SOE provides. Also, uh, institutions in many countries that have SOEs are underdeveloped, so the capacity for effective oversight that uh, government as owner should carry out uh, is not present. One particular uh, mandate that, uh, one particular issue that is particularly present for SOEs is unfunded mandates. Uh, this is essentially the SOE provides a public service, such as providing below cost electricity prices or gas service to uh, clients, but the government does not uh, then reimburse the SOE for uh, the service that it provides at below cost. As a result, SOEs can tend to borrow uh, or re resort to borrowing, and this can lead to a buildup of SOE debts. Uh, and the chart on the right shows that in some cases, SOE debts uh, can exceed uh, the debts of the general government. With this, hot, this, of course, can rebound back to the general government in the form of a need for support uh, for the SOE. And over the last 20 years, we've seen instances where the government uh, has had to bail out SOEs to the tune of a cost of 10% of GDP or more. Next slide, please. So uh, this raises the question, Clearly, SOEs have a role, but we need to get the most out of them. Next slide, please. The question is, how best to do that? Well, for a start, uh, governments and SOEs need to pri prioritize uh, using government resources efficiently. After all, these are, are the taxpayers' money uh, for which they are responsible. Uh, one way to do this, in the case of state-owned enterprises, is to, for the government to review the rationale for the existence of SOEs on a fairly regular basis. Germany uh, does this every two years uh, to try to weed out those SOEs that not, for which the rationale no longer supports uh, their existence. Also, in the case of SOEs that uh, are in competitive markets and where the private sector provides the good or service just as efficiently, 
there's a case uh, for governments to consider uh, privatizing the SOE. Now, uh, we don't privatization, uh, however, to be successful requires a number of uh, preconditions. First and foremost, uh, you want to have uh, independent uh, and competent regulatory authority uh, before considering the privatization. Also, uh, a strong rule of law and respect for property rights. And generally, privatizations, it's been shown in the literature, uh, tend to be better or uh, in environments where there's a lower level of corruption across uh, the institutions. Of course, SOEs are also part of the broader public sector and part of, uh, therefore, it makes sense for SOE performance to be included in uh, public uh, fiscal targets. This, for example, uh, including the debt of SOEs and the overall debt stock uh, that a government reports. This will better help uh, align or force uh, policymakers to fully consider the implications of uh, delivering mandates to SOEs and, and the costs associated with that in the broader public sector uh, fiscal space. Of course, we also want to make sure that uh, the incentives are structured correctly for SOE managers to perform. One of the key areas here is getting pricing policies correct, by at least at the cost recovery level, to ensure sustainable business models for the SOE. Uh, and not another critical area would be uh, the quality of institutions. Effective oversight uh, being one of the most important. And a recent book by the Inter-American Development Bank on SOEs that was co-authored by one of our discussants, Emilio Pineda, emphasizes this point. Uh, at the risk of oversimplifying, uh, one of the things that to countries can do to improve oversight is to establish a unit that effectively uh, gathers, monitors, and reports on SOE financial performance. Location of this unit in the Ministry of Finance would make sense. And, uh, and finally, on this note, uh, transparency is highly relevant. These reforms do have benefits. Uh, as the chart on the right shows, using a novel database uh, of data from IMF programs from 2002 to 2017, uh, we reviewed the impact of reforms on uh, state-owned enterprise performance. Uh, and what came out most noticeably, what came out of this is that reforms to improve governance or pricing, uh, the green or blue bars in, in the chart, uh, have a definitive and significant impact on uh, the productivity of SOEs. Next chart, please. I'm sorry, John, go back a slide, please. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just a clarification. I find it confusing in your chart on the right that the red bars, which mean all reforms, are less than the either the pricing or the governance reforms. So is that that the other reforms are counterproductive or all reforms doesn't include pricing? How do you end up with that result? Yeah, so with respect to the, the red bars, some of this reflects the fact that um, the one of the main one of the key reforms is also the clearance of arrears that we ask SOEs to do, which has broader benefits for the economy 
than just improving the productivity of the SOE. So uh, it, it certainly helps facilitate flows of finance through the financial system. You pay your suppliers who then can pay their workers. That doesn't necessarily show up as a productivity gain for an SOE, although it, it carries great, greater benefits uh, for the economy. That's one of the reasons, yes. Next slide, please. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, governments, one thing that needs uh, a government support for SOEs, we've indicated that the SOEs face mandates and uh, it's important for governments to help finance those mandates. Uh, it's just part of general good fiscal governance. Uh, if, if a fiscal or a, a public policy activity is being carried out, it should generally be reflected or it should be reflected in the government's budget. Uh, so governments so tend to supply, provide support uh, to SOEs on the mandates. However, uh, in reality, sometimes uh, the support uh, can result in uh, what we call preferential treatment for SOEs that may lead to market distortions. Uh, as an example, the chart on the right here shows that um, we looked at the borrowing costs for SOEs relative to private firms. And the blue and red bars show that for uh, private firms, they incur a higher borrowing cost relative to SOEs. Now, uh, one may ask why this exists. It's possible it exists due to the implicit or explicit guarantees provided by the sovereign. In other words, lenders to SOEs uh, assume that uh, uh, the sovereign may bail out the SOE should it run into trouble and not be able to pay its debts, hence the lower borrowing costs for SOEs. There have been, uh, so this competition uh, and the distortion thereof, it takes place both domestically and globally as uh, Paulo indicated earlier in the presentation. And there have been some efforts to try to address this, whether it's um, uh, through the WTO and subsidies or various regional trade agreements or uh, even the EU uh, in terms of the state aid regulations that is put in place for uh, uh, its countries and, and the companies therein. However, the issue remains unresolved. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, John, we're going to need you to wrap up and probably just yep. get through this slide very fast. Yeah. So, uh, SOEs can play a, a very positive role in trying to achieve uh, global goals. One is uh, they are, in many cases, uh, key producers of power in countries. Uh, and to the extent that uh, they rely on fossil fuels, uh, that this can be changed. To rely on less polluting uh, revenue fuel, uh, the, the SOEs can uh, certainly help with improve with climate change. On uh, the issue of competitive neutrality, which is leveling the playing field, uh, we propose uh, to uh, principles, multilateral principles, that uh, could help uh, bring all the various parties, all the various countries to the table that are concerned about uh, competitive distortions in the global and domestic environments to uh, consider how, what are some principles that could guide SOE uh, actions in the marketplace. Uh, final slide, please. However, I just wanna highlight very quickly that uh, this of course is easier said than done. 
And one key area that would need to be addressed is the level of support and measuring the level of support, both implicit and explicit that governments provide to SOEs. Uh, this chart identifies some of the key concepts and questions that would need to be enter, uh, reviewed, discussed. For example, as simple as how do you allocate the cost of an SOE between activities that are for, that undertakes for commercial purposes and the activities that it undertakes uh, to fulfill its mandates. Great. Uh, with thank this, you very I conclude the presentation. Yes, thank you very much, John. That was great. I, I'd now like to turn to Emilio Pineda of the Inter-American Development Bank to give his remarks on the topic and on the report. Emilio, please. Thank you very much, Adam and Paolo, for the invitation to comment on this very relevant chapter of the Fiscal Monitor. Good morning to everybody. I think this is a very good, I think it's very good news that the IMF and FAD are putting renewed focus on SOEs and their economic and fiscal impact. Overall, I find this chapter insightful, and I think it is particularly important that the report puts back fiscal issues such as sub-budget constraints or fiscal extraction issues at the center of the discussion of SOE's performance. For too long, reform of SOEs has been mostly limited to issues of corporate governance, which are relevant, but clearly insufficient. So what I will do, I will first summarize some of the key findings and conclusions and recommendations of the report, and then I'll provide some specific comments. There are three key messages from the report that I would like to emphasize. First, that we must pay close attention to SOEs because they're extremely relevant. SOEs, as Paolo already mentioned, they have very large economic and fiscal impacts. They operate in virtually every country in the world. Most countries have hundreds, if not thousands of SOEs, and they're dominant players in crucial sectors of all economies. Furthermore, SOEs receive constant government budgetary support. Uh, they, receive, they offer examples of countries that, for instance, spend two percentage points of GDP per year uh, supporting these SOEs and represent a very significant contingent liability that have required bailouts of up to 16% of GDP. So they're very significant economically and they have a very significant fiscal impact. So we must pay very close attention to them. And that's, I think, a, a, a crucial first message. Second, they offer very, uh, very convincing uh, Have we lost the sound? Or is it just me? Emilio, I fear. Emilio. I'm sorry, Jessica, could you please turn to Mary? In since Emilio, or are you back, Emilio? Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, when when did you when 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 did I go out? Uh, did, so I'll, I'll go try from the beginning, Adam, if you don't mind. Skip, skip, the, skip the two first paragraphs about this is a good study, and you're glad the IMF has done this, and go to the paragraph following that, please. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll first summarize some of the main conclusions and recommendations of the report. Perfect. Thank you. 
and then I'll, I'll, I'll give some comments. So uh, the, the, the first conclusion of the report is that we must pay very close attention to SOAs. They have very significant uh, economic and fiscal impacts. They operate virtually in every country in the world. Most countries have hundreds, if not thousands of SOEs, and they're dominant players in crucial sectors of all economies. And they also have very significant fiscal impacts. SOEs receive constant government budgetary support. The report offers examples of countries that, for instance, spend around two percentage points of GDP a year supporting these SOEs and represent a very significant contingent liability requiring bail bailouts of up to 16% of GDP. So they are very relevant and we must pay very close attention to them. A second main finding and conclusion is that SOEs are frequently inefficient. The report offers different measures of firm productivity, such as return on equity or labor productivity, showing a significant gap with private sector's peers. These findings are fully consistent with a long literature showing this type of underperformances. And at the source of these inefficiencies, we have two set of issues. The first one, which I call fiscal governance issues, are related to how the central government transfers resources to SOEs and how the central government extracts resources from SOEs. On the one hand, SOEs do not have incentives to be efficient because if they run into financial trouble, they know they will be allowed by the central government. The market knows it, knows it as well. So everybody knows that since SOEs cannot go bankrupt, it is rational for SOEs to be inefficient. On the other hand, even if SOEs were to run a profit, they run the significant risk that the central government will extract all of its profits, either through extraordinary dividends or by forcing them to sell their products below market prices or to carry unfunded mandates. This is which I would call a fiscal extraction problem. So these fiscal governance issues make it clear that is no surprise that most of SOEs are not efficient. On the contrary, given these issues, it would be surprising that they would be efficient. The second set of issues are issues more of a principal agent nature, which are monitor and oversight. In many countries, governments, agencies do not have sufficient information or capacity to properly monitor SOEs. So what to do? The, the, the report offers, I would say, three main sets of recommendations. First, to collect data on SOEs. That's a crucial building block for any policy reform effort. That's crucial and urgent in a lot of countries across the world. Second, to address the issues of the fiscal governance, uh, there are a set of reforms. First, we need to get the price right. We need to ensure that the SOEs can charge uh, the cost recovery. And also, very importantly, we need to set limits on SOE borrowing by including them in the fiscal targets. And then to address the issues, the issues of monitoring and oversight, it's recommended to use a centralized model of strong oversight to control agency so they can yield better performance from SOEs. I largely agree with the report findings and recommendations, but I have three main caveats. One on the data, one on the use of the fiscal rules to set borrowing limits, and one on the use of centralized monitoring agencies. So first on the data. Lack of data is a crucial problem, and I think international organizations could play a more proactive role to solve it. So even if collecting this data should be the primary responsibility of national governments, international organizations, and especially the IMF with its leading role, 
I think could play and should play a more proactive role in promoting the collection of this data by requesting it through its surveillance instruments like the Article 4. Unless this happens, I think the lack of data across countries is going to remain the status quo. My second comment is on making use of fiscal rules to set borrowing limits for SOEs. I fully agree with the need of setting limits to SOEs borrowing, but one needs to be careful on how these rules are designed and implemented. Fiscal rules requiring SOEs to consistently run balanced budgets put them at a competitive disadvantage relative to other firms in the same sector and can lead to serious underinvestment in the development of public services. For example, in the case of Peru, where SOEs are included in the fiscal targets uh, of the general government, and are subject to the same uh, reviews for their public investment projects as any other ministry, the rate of implementation of SOE's planned investment has been very low in crucial sectors such as electricity. This is a reflection of financial constraints. The SOE's mostly, largely because of the, of the fiscal rules cannot borrow, and the cumbersome procedures to bet public investment proposals on the, the national public investment system. So there is a trade-off between mitigating the fiscal risk and how efficiently can uh, the SOEs perform. Redefining the main fiscal targets in terms of the general government instead of the non-financial public sector and introduce specific rules to the SOEs related to each enterprise capacity to service debt may be a more nuanced approach that would allow SOEs more space to carry necessary investments. At the same time, it would still mitigate the fiscal risk. And my third and final comment is on the centralized agencies and holdings. While these agencies and holdings are a very good solution for small and medium-sized firms, they, are not, they might not be the best solution for uh, large strategic SOEs. For example, in the case of Latin America, large SOEs like Odelco in Chile, Pemex in Mexico, Petro Peru in Peru, for those cases, given their political clout and, and how complex these firms are, governments need a combination of administrative controls with market monitoring to improve their functioning. The technical complexity of these firms is, is, is significant. So uh, it's very important that uh, the, the market monitoring complements the government. So in these cases, our evidence shows that there is a very strong case for at least partial privatization of these large firms so that the supervision and surveillance of these firms is enhanced by thousands of market participants. So with this, I conclude, I think this is a very, uh, a very sound, a very interesting report. I'm very happy the IMF is putting back its, its focus on this again, but I think there are still elaborations and more uh, policy discussion on nuances that we need to, to, to carry forward uh, to enhance uh, the policy recommendations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Emilio. Now let me turn to my colleague from Peterson, Mary Lovely, to give the final discussion before we go to group chat. Mary, please. Thanks, that wasn't a problem given the spring we've been having. That wasn't a problem that I in, whoops, anticipated. So um, first of all, I'd like to uh, 
congratulate John and Emilia and uh, Paulo on the report. It's uh, obviously extremely timely, and uh, they make a very convincing case about the importance of SOEs and SOE reforms. Uh, I think for many people reading the uh, report, the, the size of SOEs, the extent of their geographic coverage and their sectoral coverage uh, will reinforce the belief that SOE reforms are necessary. Um, Emilio went over the uh, what I think of as the fiscal reform part of the report. I'm going to focus on a narrow section of the report, a smaller section of the report, which is about the SOEs being good global citizens. And in particular, I'm gonna focus on the idea of competitive neutrality. Um, so let me move to full screen here. And hopefully you can see my slides. Okay, so we have established that SOEs are big players, uh, not just on the domestic stage, but also on the international stage. Not only do they operate in every country, uh, they're prevalent in some se sectors with very large network uh, externalities, not just domestically, but increasingly globally. Um, public banks are extremely important, uh, as are firms in a variety of industrial and even service sectors. Uh, the SOE share of the largest 2,000 firm assets is 20%, so it's one-fifth of these uh, uh, enormous multinationals. They are um, deceptive in, in ownership structures sometimes. Many have a mix of public and private ownerships. It's not just a simple, uh, you know, we own 50%. It's also complex ownership structures involving holding companies and other types of structures that make it difficult for us to see through the veil uh, to the true level of state ownership and control. Um, the report uh, mentions a finding that there are over 1,500 state-owned uh, multinational firms operating. I think we have to be honest in saying that one country is driving the growing concern about the global citizenship of uh, state-owned enterprises, and that is China. Uh, I found this graph particularly informative. If we look we uh, over the last almost two decades, you can see that it's that uh, increasing red area, which is China, uh, that is driving the overall upward trend. Uh, and that, of course, leads to um, all, uh, a host of other issues uh, having to do with uh, China's, uh, not only its uh, political and economic system, but also its growing role in the private sector. Uh, and these concerns become very important as other countries seek to uh, promote reform of SOEs. Um, the fiscal monitor rec recommendations, which Emilio has covered in detail, uh, are here. I will just briefly uh, say that they are focused uh, to a large extent on making the mandate of the state-owned enterprise transparent and then using that mandate uh, as a springboard for raising performance, particularly by linking support specifically to the mandate deciding how much the SOE needs to be subsidized to meet this mandate. For example, provision of clean water to rural households. Uh, there's a need to align fiscal incentives to meet this mandate and also to enhance oversight and governance performance, which would be related to the effective and efficient uh, achievement of the mandate. Now, what we see here is that the fiscal reforms constrain, but they don't end subsidies. Um, in other words, these subsidies 
are uh, SOEs are a conduit for subsidies, um, and that these clearly would affect the competitive position of other firms, uh, not only in their home market, as was discussed um, by Paolo, but also in the in other markets, uh, markets to which they may export if they are a multinational, and to third markets where they compete with private sector firms or even SOEs from other countries. Uh, best fiscal practices do not stop these competitive effects um, unless they are particularly limited in the types of subsidies that are offered. Um, because these fiscal practices have not been effective in stopping these uh, competitive effects or spillover effects to date, SOE reform and subsidy reform often overlap in public discussions. Uh, so SOE reforms invoke then a search for quote unquote competitive neutrality, which is an ideal of an undistorted market competition, uh, some set of prices which can be used to constrain subsidies to the SOE and to ensure that companies that are competing with the SOE have a quote unquote level playing field. Uh, so my question really is what have we done with this idea of competitive neutrality? I think it's well known already that existing WTO subsidy rules are limited. Uh, one of the key, uh, 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 sorry, word I'm looking for here, one of the key goals of the WTO process is to have notification of subsidies. But we all know that countries are, are extremely slow in notifying uh, the WTO of subsidies. And in fact, by some counts, China is at least 10 years behind in notification. Uh, without notifications, uh, makes challenges by other countries of these subsidies uh, very difficult. But we also know that transparency is only the tip of the iceberg. Even if we had tr transparency on direct uh, subsidies, we would know that many supports are implicit or indirect. That is, they're through uh, other, other types of uh, entities or through holding companies, which would make uh, it difficult to truly measure how much the competitive environment is affected by uh, SOEs. Uh, as a result, um, damages uh, occur before challenges are adjudicated. This leads to enormous frustration. Uh, among other countries, and oftentimes remedies, if they are achieved, they have no teeth. Now, a recent trilateral statement issued by Japan, signed by representatives of Japan, United States, and European Union, uh, seek to push this type of reform harder. Basically, the trilateral statement that was issued in January of 2020 drills down harder on the idea of achieving competitive neutrality. Uh, here's a list of the things that are in that statement. They include identifying new unconditionally prohibited subsidies uh, and expanding the definition of public bodies to include SOEs. So they're basically trying to push rules that would add some teeth to this idea of identifying subsidies that alter the competitive uh, landscape uh, and then making sure that countries that pursue those policies in some way uh, pay a price for doing so. My question really is whether this is sufficient. Are we trying to discipline uh, countries achieving their man mandates, or is it that the mandates are incompatible with competitive neutrality? Um, here I look at when we have large economies of scale, subsidies may increase global surplus but not produce mutual gains. A good example might be a government today who's seeking to uh, subsidize creation of a vaccine. 
We may say that there's a limited public health role there, but we all know there's also a gigantic uh, amount of rents that could be earned. So it may be that the domestic welfare maximizing approach would require disrupting the market equilibrium, but it's exactly those current day prices that we're gonna to use to try to establish competitive uh, neutrality. And in this case, I think trying to achieve competitive neutrality is asking the, the SOE not to achieve its mandate, or for that matter, uh, subsidies that are issued by the government through uh, the private sector. So we really go back to what the government is trying to achieve. This includes, I think, many of the activities that we see today, not only in China, but throughout the world, India, for example, and in parts of the European Union. Some examples might be industries where we have large fixed assets and high cyclicality, such as steel, uh, which we have seen perennially be unable to solve this issue. Uh, large fixed assets, high rent, such as on internet platforms or other types of new economy, uh, of plumbing, and lastly, large fixed assets and spillovers such as semiconductors. I think these problems um, are heightened when we add national security concerns, but they aren't fundamentally only national security concerns. So I think fiscal reforms are clearly needed, especially for the large number of SOEs who really are not players on the global economy, but provide essential services. Uh, I think the report and uh, Emilio and his discussion have made clear how important that is, but I would also argue that it's not, not enough. Uh, fiscal reforms of this type may simply make companies more, more, more effective in meeting their public mandates, uh, but some mandates will have effects outside national borders. Uh, that may not be a bug, that may in fact be a feature. Um, and reforms that help countries achieve these mandates may increase, not reduce uh, conflict. Uh, competitive neutrality cannot fully resolve the types of conflicts that we're seeing in the global economy. I think we need new thinking about how these sectors that have large economies of scale and global rents uh, will be shared and how new entrants will be accommodated. Thank you very much and I look forward to the discussion. My timer was going off and I didn't want to take mute off until the timer went. You were perfectly on time. More, more importantly, Mary, I think your, your summary of this particular aspect of the SOE question and this question of, are we looking to restrict their mandates or is it the mandates themselves that are a problem I think is fascinating and I'm hopeful for a PIE publication on that theme. Um, so let me now go back to Paolo and John, um, if either of you want to make a brief response to anything that Emilio or Mary raised, and then I will start uh, transmitting some of the questions that have come in over the Q&A function. So first, John or Paolo, anything you would like to add? Maybe, maybe just briefly, uh, uh, thank you for the comments. Uh, I mean, I basically agree with everything. I think uh, some of the issues we touched are very complex and obviously this is a relatively short uh, report uh, so we can't cover it to, uh, in detail but it's something we keep working and uh, I think for example Emilio touched on the issues of uh, whether the state-owned enterprise should be under fiscal targets, fiscal rules or and how do you monitor. I think this is uh, an area that uh, uh, 
countries uh, debating and trying to find the best way. But uh, our main objective here is try to create the right incentives. You want, uh, first of all, you want SOEs to be at the minimum reflected in the public finances so that everyone can see, can see their, their size, can see their impact, can see their performance. I think that's absolutely critical and they should be in the what we call fiscal statistics or financial statements of government. So they have to be included. In many countries they aren't. We don't even know how many SOEs they have and uh, uh, are they efficient and do they have large losses? So that's one aspect. I think bringing that to the fiscal accounts and bringing it under uh, the fiscal tariffs can create a tremendous uh, uh, incentive structure to be more transparent, to be more efficient. Uh, in terms of the competitive neutrality, and uh, I absolutely agree with Mary, I think these are very complex issues. Again, we wanted to touch it primarily from the fiscal side because obviously this is a fiscal monitor, but we do think that the fiscal plays a key role. But uh, the but these are really complex issues, and I think. Uh, at least our proposal is that we need more global cooperation. We need countries to sit uh, at the table, at the same table, and uh, and discuss. I think the, there are concerns both from the countries that own the SOEs and the countries that host the SOEs or the countries that have to compete with the SOEs. And I think it's important countries sit down uh, at the table and think about these issues. Uh, and uh, I agree there, there may be debates in the questions. In some cases, uh, transparency and trying to identify the costs of mandate so that uh, at least that is very clear and that the company doesn't get other types of subsidies beyond the mandates may be enough. In other cases, may not be enough because there may be some tensions on whether the mandates are appropriate or are they themselves creating distortions in markets. But, we, we at least we we think would be a, a good first step to bring more a more cooperative game, let's say, among countries to try to to understand all the issues and try to find some set of guidelines that could help. Uh, and I'll stop here. John, do you want to add anything or? I think Paulo covered the ground very nicely. I just uh, very thankful for the comments provided by the, the two discussants. Thanks. Great. Um, if I could just make a couple observations, because also some of the questions that came in were very factual. Um, so I, I think that one of the things to look at is the whole report. Um, and we have the link to it on the PIE website, along with what will be permanently the video of this discussion. Um, and of course, the full fiscal monitor is available for download directly from the, from the International Monetary Fund website. So. I encourage everybody to look at the full report. I just, there were a couple things that I think, I don't recall being in the full report and forgive me if they were wrong, but that I think would be interesting to raise. I mean, one is, you know, you have that chart of the circles of how many multinational SOEs there are by region, uh, a little bit more about the discussion of what's the history of why certain regions are so much more than others. Um, they look so as Vikram Nehru raised on the Q&A, it looks like a weird number a bit for, for South Asia because we're very aware of a lot of large entities in India, for example. Um, again, I'm sure you did all the best with the data you could, but just a I would have 
like to have, and I think it would be great if you made available to people a bit more of the descriptive sort of atlas of the world um, in this space. And similarly, you know, you broke out, Paolo in, in his initial slides broke out, you know, the network um, firms and the, 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 you know, the, the oil companies, the banks, the power generators. And again, it would be interesting to have a bit more of a breakdown of, you know, are these different in nature from, from say, state-owned enterprises in steel or airlines where there may not be as much of a natural monopoly case. Now, again, you may have some of this data or it may be just you haven't presented it yet, but as, as a consumer of your work and, and someone interested, I think these kinds of descriptive statistics and would be useful. And third, moving slightly more analytically, I think it is um, one, you, you discussed various reasons why they, they, the countries have state-owned enterprises and that might be positive. And in particular with the, even though I forced Paolo to rush through it, the memorable chart of the NDS uh, doing a huge amount of counter-cyclical lending in the global financial crisis, for example. But one thing you didn't mention is that a long historic idea behind these kinds of SOEs, at least in some countries, was a developmental motivation, that over time this would give them an industry or a, a national champion even in a particular sector. And I, again, that's not what you were focused on, but some sense of whether how much that motivation has paid off through the years. Uh, are there examples of countries that did put their, their money into a, a, a national SOE and, and get something out of it. And of course, that relates to some of the things Mary raised in a sense about what China had in mind. Um, those are just some suggestions for things that might be of interest to a broader audience uh, to go with your very sound report. Um, we had another question, uh, comment from Vikram Nehru over the Q&A. The findings and conclusions of the report appear to reconfirm what is already known about SOEs. Can the authors comment on what findings they consider to be new, surprising, or counterintuitive? Uh, I, I wouldn't have put it quite that way, but I do think it's fair to say that a lot of what you said is very sensible and important, and we it's good to have confirmation of what's sensible and important. But in this research, was there anything that surprised you, John or Paolo? So let me start and maybe John can compliment. Uh, thank you for your suggestions. I, we have been trying uh, to collect, uh, I think data, the point you made and Emilio uh, also, I think data in the regarding SOEs is really a tremendous challenge. Yeah, but, but hold on a sec. If you put up data and say you've got a data set of a thousand SOEs and you're able to code them by industry, then you can already respond to some of my questions. Right. Don't just revert to saying data is tough. No, that was my second part. Uh, I think we can uh, we, sh we we can continue to do more work uh, to improve our data set, but obviously it will be uh, available uh, all the data set that we collected to, to the public, so people can uh, can look at. Um, we one one thing on the on the sectors we we do find is that uh, the. The network sectors, that's where you see a more prevalence of SOEs across all countries. So you, it's common, so they, they are there in public utilities, public transportation. In the other sectors like manufacturing, real estate, they have much less presence and, and varies tremendous across countries. So 
So that, that's something we found. On the, on the development strategy of public banks, yeah, we, we have some discussion in the report. Um, and uh, this is an area that there's been a lot of work done. And um, most uh, evidence, yes, is that uh, uh, public banks have struggled with development objectives. So they have not been very effective. Uh, this, uh, some, there are some examples where they've been able to promote more growth, for example, of uh, small and medium enterprises, but, uh, but they have been plagued with many problems on governance, on efficiency. So that, that's another, uh, it's common uh, not to many SOEs, many sectors, but also public banks in this respect. So, so that's one concern we raised even when you use uh, public banks, not just for development, but for, for example, for uh, helping manage the cycle, there is a concern with the governance and the quality of the credit uh, and making sure uh, the, the, that it's appropriately done and not uh, through loss to corruption or other, or other mismanagement. So that's, that's a, a serious concern uh, that we observe. Uh, I think on the on the data, uh, maybe a few things. I think what we have seen uh, um, uh, many studies, but they were focused on specific countries or, or or sectors, and not like we try to do at the global. So we we have been able to show this systematic uh, uh, underperformance of SOEs in general. Uh, across many countries. So I think I haven't seen a, a country that a study that's done to such a large number of countries. And I think we also dig that uh, we dig a bit deeper in terms of the differences between sectors. I think the performance varies significantly and also trying to understand a bit more the, the drivers. So there's been some debate in the literature whether uh, for example, is, is it the ownership that matters or is it the market structure where the company operates? So some people argue it's not necessary whether you are owned by the government, it's because you are SOEs tend to operate uh, in a highly regulated sector and that undermines their ability to be efficient and profitable. Uh, so I think we, we show that yes, for example, the market structure matters but the ownership also matters and there's a significant gap even after uh, controlling for many factors uh, there's a significant gap between the performance of private firms and, uh, and SOEs and we find that some of, of these factors and governance comes out a very strong one and the other is for example the ability of setting the right prices uh, for the SOE the independence to set price so that's those are important factors that we find I don't know okay. if John wants to. Yeah, help. John, anything you want to add? Yeah, uh, just, just two points. Uh, obviously, the fiscal monitor gives a platform for the IMF uh, to raise the SOE issue in a, in a comprehensive fashion and perhaps bring the issue to uh, a different audience that may normally not deal with SOE issues and to highlight the importance of these issues. Uh, granted, in, in a large subset of uh, uh, academic area and institutions, SOEs get a lot of priority and a lot of focus, but uh, the, the fiscal monitor pulls the issues together in one place and presents kind of a summary of what's going on in the SOE sector, as along with some analysis that, uh, that follow highlight. 
The second point I would like to make is just that uh, on the, the research angle, uh, we did uh, have the benefit of uh, constructing a, a new database that looks at uh, SOE performance under IMF programs, right? So it kind of gives us a little bit of a controlled environment to see how various reforms proposed for SOEs actually did impact on, on SOE performance. Uh, this is a little bit different angle on the, the idea that SOEs are just poor, have poor productivity. Okay, thank you. Um, we've gotten a few questions about China as the elephant in the SOE room um, along two lines, but neither of them are strictly SOE in a sense. First is whether or not the Article 4's uh, comments on SOE reform in China, which are very limited, uh, match up with what you would generally recommend. And while I'm not trying to get John and Paolo or anybody in the fiscal department in trouble, some amount of reflection on how your principles would apply to China would be interesting. And second, um, there is the question, and, and I don't know if Emilio or Mary also wants to come in on this, is the question of um, how much are China's SOEs being a conduit for loans to the developing world um, through BRI and other means? And again, that's not your department per se, but is that something that you find common among SOEs that, that they, are, they are used as conduits for loans elsewhere? Or does, is that a rare thing? Some comment on that, please. So I'll, I'll pass these questions to John since he works with the China team and is very aware of China issues. Right, so John. Uh, certainly when it comes to the issue of SOEs in China, uh, of course, the team is well aware of the issues and the various article fours over the course of time have uh, pointed to the extent to which SOEs are present in, in the Chinese economy and the idea that uh, we encourage uh, basically the competitive neutrality, the level playing field uh, concept uh, within within China for its own uh, domestic benefit and to allow uh, the private sector uh, to flourish uh, in, in the um, Chinese economy. Uh, in terms of the issue with respect to the, the global, uh, again, we're kind of proposing a principles-based approach, uh, which would bring the ideas to bring everybody to the table here uh, to discuss how SOEs uh, should basically operate in, in the international environment. This is at early stages. Uh, basically, the fiscal monitor itself is just putting the idea out there uh, to see what kind of traction it may get. Uh, so proposing something like that within the context of an Article 4 or something would be a little premature at this time. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a question come in from Stephanie Siegel, and this is a question I hope all of our panelists will want to respond to. Um, could you provide more detailed context from the IMF authors behind the proposal for multilateral principles to limit global distortions and level the playing field, close quote? Who would do this work under what mandate? Would the principles link to the WTO disciplines or would it be something else? Would it be GFG20, IMFC? How do you see this progressing? And again, I'd be happy to have Mary or Emilio's views on this as well. 
Thank you. Uh, so we are launching the idea. We think, again, because of these are quite complex issues that affect many countries, we think it's, it's better to have a cooperative solution. Which institution will, uh, will uh, actually take the lead? It would have to be something countries will need to decide. I mean, there are several international institutions that have been involved in some of these issues. The WTO is one of them. The OECD has also done a lot of work on trying to understand uh, this uh, and measure competitive advantage. So they, they also can participate. We obviously can also give our inputs. But uh, I think this is something countries will have to talk and, uh, uh, and decide how much they want to advance. There are some examples of the past uh, where, for example, the sovereign uh, wealth funds, where there was an effort by countries around the world to sit together and where the IMF and other international institutions participated and where we came, uh, countries came up with a set of principles uh, for uh, sovereign wealth funds. So, so that's one, one example out there that could be followed. But uh, of course, SOEs involve much more set of complex issues that we need to, to, to think through. And uh, we would need to think I, potential could be the WTO, but it could be other institutions working together. Okay. I don't know if Mary or Emilio, you want to say something about this? Yes, Mary. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great question. I think the world is struggling with these issues. There's no right answer at this point. We're going to try to grope towards some type of accommodation. Uh, I mentioned the failure of the WTO to discipline subsidies through SOEs in a way that is satisfactory to a large number of its members, uh, and that frustration being reflected in January's trilateral agreement. Um, my thinking on this is that you know, the same old, same old just isn't going to work. Talking about competitive neutrality uh, acts as though developing countries aren't savvy enough to figure out what's in their own best interest. Now, we can say there's a lot of political economy reasons and a lot of government failure reasons why we see the situation. And I think that those two factors cover a lot of the ground. But I think there's a third reason, which is that it's not in their own best interest to uh, not try to grab some of the global rents that are, can be achieved uh, in economies that, in industries that can operate at large scale. To that end, I think the IMF can be particularly helpful uh, pushing further with this uh, data that they're making available. Uh, as Adam said, trying to illuminate particularly which industries, which questions do we need to rethink and begin to acknowledge that competitive neutrality is not going to be the only solution to this. We're going to have to uh, find some way to, to share uh, or to divide. And that's what we're coming down to now, where we'll see countries being pushed into one, one axis or one half uh, of a splintered global economy. So I think this new thinking uh, can be really assisted by the IMS data, but it's clear that the time has come. Great. Emilio, do you want to add anything to that or... Just briefly, I would like to add that there's growing evidence that at least in Latin America, Chinese SOEs are having a, an increasingly unrelevant participation uh, with uh, that go from the selling of manufacturing products of, such as scanners for customs or investment in infrastructure in large projects. 
and 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 I think the common theme that have characterized all these interventions is a lack of transparency. That that I think speaks to the to the concerns that that Mary just just mentioned. No, that that there's there's huge concerns that are implicit subsidies in these in these participations, and 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 that also uh, there is no clear. Uh, 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 there is no clear monitoring of all these agreements with, between the SOEs and the, and the national government. So this is definitely, uh, uh, I would say, a, a growing issue in the region, but we don't have enough data or transparency to, to have a clear dimension of what's going on. Great. Uh, our final question, Ted Truman wrote a question that I'm going to slightly rephrase. Um, it sort of is a different cut at what Mary was just talking about. How much are we worried about natural monopolies versus not natural monopolies in, in terms of what's fair and unfair? I mean, should there be, and, and I mean, is this a useful concept and dividing line for what policy approach or what recommendations you make? Um, Paolo or John? Uh. I guess if I understood correctly, means that you may be putting some types of regulation restrictions to create a natural monopoly that doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, it's it's more are are we in terms of competitive neutrality as we try to figure out where to draw the line and where it's applicable? Is this a useful place to draw the line? If I understand Ted's question correctly. I mean, it's it's a difficult question. I think the I think we have to understand and fully the policy objectives of countries. And the, I think sometimes as we don't necessarily have to operate only natural monopolies. There may be other reasons why countries may want it as we there. I think the point is that you uh, that I wanted to mention even on this competitive. Uh, 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 neutrality is that this is not just uh, a question on the global, it's even domestically. Countries would want to have solutions that are uh, promote growth and efficiency. So you want to have, if you decide to have an SOE in a certain sector where you also have competitive private firms, do you really want to create uh, uh, an advantage to that SOE uh, that is going to lead to misallocation of resources? Uh, so it's it's the advantage of the country itself of thinking through these issues and thinking is this the best use of uh, government support to to a company that uh, and you need to have a strong policy mandate case to justify it because otherwise even from the fiscal angle it doesn't make sense to to be using these resources when you you go to the global aspect I think it's it's uh, it adds to this you you and the problem is, and I think Mary was hinting at this before, is that you may also have impacts of what may be the, the, the decision of a policy decision of a country may benefit that country, but may not benefit other countries or may not be benefit the global. And that's where we think the cooperative solution is better because you, you sit down at the table and you think about the consequences. Because the alternative is that you're going to have growing uh, pressures for protectionism, for regulatory measures against these SOEs, and uh, uh, it, it ends up being badly for everyone in terms of economic growth and efficiency. So I think there are, the, the, if we can find a cooperative way 
to to avoid these retaliatory measures and uh, uh, so which would make it costly for the the owner country uh, through cooperation. I think it's it's a better solution. But of course, this is an idea we are putting out there, and we understand this is very difficult uh, to to implement. But uh, but at least start discussing, start bringing transparency to these issues. Terrific. Thank you, Paolo. I think that's a great note to end on. And thanks to you, to John and your colleagues at the IMF Fiscal Department for putting that idea forward. Thanks to Mary and to Emilio for giving us substantive discussion, engaging with the richness of this report. And thanks to everyone who joined us this morning. Please let people know that this video, as well as the link to the report and the slides from the presenters will be available on the Peterson website. And of course, the full fiscal monitor is free to download from the IMF website. Thanks very much.